so many people talk about financial wealth, but what does that get you? Because if you actually really break it down, nobody cares about financial wealth. They're talking about what financial wealth is going to get them. What is that? You know, people say financial freedom. Well, what is financial freedom really? Kind of like time freedom. You know, if you want to live the retired life now, then it's about time. And we're all just using these terms, wealth and financial freedom, to lead us to the thing that we really want. Because what does money by itself do? I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got Allie Boone with me today. Allie, what is going on? Well, you know, the use, just hanging out. <laughs> the use, the use, the COVID use. The day I figure out how to spell the use, I've been waiting on this. I'm like, I want to be able to type it, but I I got nothing on how to spell that. Nice, nice. Well, hope, hopefully we'll, we'll break you out of the use, you know, we'll <laughs> kind of bring some fire to the day. So, uh <laughs> I'm super excited for this conversation and you just have such a diverse background. I mean, it's just, it's pretty cool. I'm really, I'm really excited to have you here. So for those folks that don't know, so Allie is a real estate investor, entrepreneur, business owner, pilot, author, and sometimes she's, she's considers herself funny. So we'll, Honestly, we'll see how this. That's my favorite accolade of all of them. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> resume, whatever. But like, if you think I'm funny, we're like, Sold in. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what we can do to, to to beef that up a little bit during the show. So, like, oh, maybe uh, I should have another cup of coffee. I gotta like get my funny my funny going. <laughs> well, so normally we dive into the journey, but uh, I know we were talking a little bit before, and so there was there was a topic that I wanted to bring up around just turnkeys and investing and wealth because I know you're big on mindset, and so yeah. that's one thing I think a lot of investors get stuck on. And so the term we were talking about is wealth right? How do, I want to grow wealth. First of all, what does that mean, right? You know, wealth to, to different people is different things. You can be real estate rich, cash poor, or, you know, you can yeah. have assets that aren't worth quite as much, but you could be cash flowing or have, you know, substantial recurring yeah. revenue coming in. So, um, so how do you really define wealth and for investors that are really just trying to wrap their mind around where that end zone is going to eventually be? How do you kind of give them an idea of how to get there or get their <laughs> mind there? I mean, there's a couple different, I mean, wealth is such a, I was about to say generic word that puts kind of a different context on it than I mean, but it is a little bit of a generic term because it's like, what does wealth actually mean? So there's financial wealth, which is usually what people are talking about when they want to build wealth and all that. And if we look at the financial wealth version of the word, you know, that brings into the question investment strategy. How are you going to build wealth as a cash flow, as an appreciation, as an equity? You know, what financial measure actually constitutes wealth. You know, some people, I, I worked with somebody recently who they have a lot of properties and they have a ton of equity and they were interested in buying turnkeys. And there's a lot of turnkeys out right now that are lower on cash flow but higher in appreciation potential, which is kind of new for turnkeys. And she made a really good point. She said, we have all this equity in all these properties, like more equity is not really going to help us. We need liquid cash. So we want to focus on just the cash flowing properties, because why would we buy more of the same? We have a ton of properties. We want to use that equity to give us the cash flow. And, you know, so her situation may be very different than someone else's, where if you have a lot of equity in that, um, 
I was about to say net income. That's not it. Um, net worth. <laughs> Coffee. Um, so, you know, net worth maybe, you know, so it's there's all different measures for the financial aspect of it. But if you really jump into the mindset aspect of it, there's so many different conversations about wealth because, you know, I, I, I wrote a book recently and I even put the story in there where I remember waking up when I was 13 and I thought to myself, I'm going to be a gazillionaire when I grow up. And it wasn't for pretentious reasons. It wasn't for any of that. It was kind of more of a personal challenge. It's like, how can I make this happen? And at that time, it's like, I want to be a gazillionaire. That is monetary financial wealth. And over the years, that whole, I mean, granted, I was 13, so whatever. But, you know, that perception has really changed because, yeah, sure, it'd be great to be a gazillionaire. But if being a gazillionaire takes away a lot of other things that I would constitute as wealth, you know, health, family, friends, connections, um, happiness, dear God, happiness, you know, there's a lot of other measures in my opinion of what wealth means. So kind of fast forwarding, you know, when I talk about real estate and financial wealth, so many people talk about financial wealth, but what does that get you? Because if you actually really break it down, nobody cares about financial wealth. They're talking about what financial wealth is going to get them. What is that? You know, people say financial freedom. Well, what is financial freedom really? Kind of like time freedom. You know, if you want to live the retired life now, then it's about time. And we're all just using these terms wealth and financial freedom to lead us to the thing that we really want. Because what does money by itself do? Not a lot. I mean, maybe security, those things. But again, that's a step past the financial wealth. So there's so many different conversations to be had about wealth. And once you have all those conversations and really weigh it out for yourself, it's it's coming up with a combination that's going to fit your goal and fit your life. Like, you know, an example of uh, someone with a spouse, five kids and a full-time job. Well, time might be the wealth that you're actually trying to build. Like if you take on a big, you know, very active strategy or whatever, and you lose all the time in the meantime, are you working towards the correct wealth? You know, so there, there's all, I mean, oh man, it, it's such a, it's a fun project. It's kind of like a project, but it's like mapping this all out and everybody defining wealth and what that actually means. And if it really is money wealth, cool, but it helps to be clear on what that money wealth would actually get you also, because when you know your why, then everything changes. I, that's so powerful. And I, I just love the way that you described it. And then also, I think the problem is that people, you think wealth is the destination, yeah. but like you said, it's what do they really want to utilize that wealth for? Is yeah. it time freedom? Is it peace of mind? You know, what actually yep. do they, do they want? And so in this conversation with my friend, he was saying, you know, he wanted that ability to eventually step away from his career to have enough yeah. income, come passive income coming in. And so as we were talking about, I think that's where it needs to differentiate what's your time horizon. And then you yeah. can determine if it's got to be more of an appreciation play or if it's got to be more of a cash flow play. Yep. Cash flow isn't really very helpful to you if you only buy a couple properties and you're making six hundred to a thousand dollars a month if you're making six figures a year. Even that's a very advantageous number. <laughs> oh, I'd say for three or four properties. For three or four properties. I'm like, man, where are you buying properties? <laughs> Which furthers the, exactly your point that cash flow by itself is not always that helpful. And so the last thing I want to touch on before we get into your journey, though, that you mentioned was, you know, and I think that's a challenge a lot of investors are running into right now, folks that actually bought at the, you know, at the best times in 2014 to 2019, their properties have appreciated so much. I know I'm personally in this situation, but what does liquidating get me? 
what am I going to go, where am I going to go place that capital into something that, you know, unless I want to start going into some of these more obscure markets, these tertiary markets where in my mind, I'd rather take the risk of minimal cash flow or lesser cash flow in these deals in primary markets and the off chance appreciation continues to run. Or, you know, if there is a reset, you know, then maybe I can refinance and and plug that capital in another asset some other way. So I just, I just think it's funny when you talk about, because because in the news cycle, they always talk about, they're talking about recently, hey, so many people net worth has increased tremendously, right? You right. know, and unfortunately it's it's the richer, you know, the richer side of that spectrum <laughs> has increased tremendously. <laughs> but same thing with the stock market. If you're in the stock market right now and it's at that, that height, what are you going to do with it? If you take it yeah. out, where are you going to put it? If you keep it in cash, you know, we all know that, you know, the dollar's devaluing every day or every second. I saw, yep. I just had an article come in and it said in December, they printed more than $5 billion per hour. Yeah, <laughs> The Fed did. So, like, hey, that's anyone who owns property. That's the best news you could ever hear. That's one of the biggest profits. That, well, I shouldn't say one of the biggest, but it's a huge profit center of rental properties. And because you bought a property at a certain amount, inflation is your best friend. How many other things and places can you say that inflation is your best friend? Oh, it is in real estate, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, print it. Print it. <laughs> print it. <laughs> well, so, I, I take that back. I don't know. Let's not actually print them. <laughs> you know, you got you to gotta draw the line somewhere, right? You know, hey, how many trillions? Like, huh, suddenly I pay like $9 for a gallon of milk. <laughs> I'm like, go. Shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, so your background is so diverse. And that's what I think is so exciting and interesting about this. So let's kind of go back to the beginning. So how did, yeah. you know, I mean, you started off as a corporate employee. You've got a master's degree from a you know prestigious technical institute, um, aerospace engineer. How are you just romping the world, going to Nicaragua, <laughs> buying turnkeys all over the U.S.? I mean, wh- how do we get from oh A to Z? I used to be such a cool person. Like, <laughs> wow, that makes my life today sound really boring. I used to get bored very easy. <laughs> you know, I was always an adventurer. Um, like I said, when I was 13, it's like, how can I become a gazillionaire? Like problem solving, adventure. I love a good story. Uh, I have a quick funny. I had some friends in town last week and they were Airbnb in a boat. So they're going to stay on the boat and the chick who owned the boat, we, we kind of maybe convinced her that we should take the boat out for like a sunset sail. And so she gets on the boat and she's like, so I have to tell you something. We can totally take the boat out. Just a warning. I just kind of learned all this stuff on YouTube. And I was like, and the first words out of my mouth were, oh, we're going. <laughs> I was like, I love a good story. So that's kind of, you know, I, I say that to say it's kind of a thing with me. I love. And you're here today. Uh, you survived it, right? You survived. I, well, she made sure that we were drinking enough. She was like, you either have to be drinking a lot or, and we were like, bottoms up, no problem. Like, let's do it. I'm a pilot. Me and my friends were sourceful. We're bound to figure this out. <laughs> And I was like, oh, we're, you know, most people would be like, eh. I was like, oh, this is happening. I love a good story. I love adventure. I Not to pull like the lame YOLO card, but you really do kind of only live once. And, you know, going back to that, tying it back to that wealth conversation is what are we here for? If you spend your whole life just trying to like put money in the bank account and all that, of course, there is a balance, you know, don't put yourself into homelessness unnecessarily for adventure. But, you know, we are here once and I did used to get very bored back then. Um, But, you know, it kind of, I think part of it was I grew up with the typical mindset of go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a secure job, retire when you're 65. 
la-ti-da. And so in that kind of more like stoic approach, you know, here I am, I'm a rebellious, adventurous. I had to go find adventure to kind of break up the monotony of life, if you will. And the more that my life has gotten much more non-monotonous, about to start tying words in there, going to get tricky. You know, I almost don't even have, I haven't, I, well, there was 2020 recently. So I, there weren't a lot of adventures to be had, but, or a whole different kind of adventure, but you know, I don't even have to go seeking all the adventures as much now because I'm kind of living my life. Like I enjoy it. I love my daily routine. I love where I live. I can hang out. I can chill out. I can do all this kind of fun stuff. So yeah, it, it, it was always just kind of an inner drive for freedom and adventure for me. So that's kind of what started this whole thing. And it really started, you know, I went through that whole thing, went through school, got a master's degree, got the corporate dream job, quote unquote. And I tell the story all the time. The minute I walked into my very first cubicle, the very first day of my first big girl job, I hadn't even so much just sat down in the chair when I looked at the cubicle and I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. You know, here I am. I'd just been in school for like, what, eight years, nine years, something like that. And here I I did it. I, I'm there. And I was like, I got to get out of here. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even turn the computer on yet. And, you know, that set me on this, my, I was like, I have to get out of corporate. And I had a lot of skills at that point, but nothing really that could like directly get me out of a nine to five. So that started this whole journey of, I was just reading and researching and like, what, what's it going to take? And what am I going to do? Oh, this is a good idea. That's a stupid idea, you know, and on and on and on. And it was about, it was five years after I started corporate that I finally left and it happened to be in real estate. And I honestly wasn't planning. I, I assumed based on what I was reading, I was either going to have to start a business or do something in real estate investing. Those seemed to be like the two things that get people out of corporate. And ironically, I ended up starting a real estate investing business. I didn't know I was going to combine those two, but it was really just kind of following, you know, the path that was kind of laid out, doing the work, making, you know, setting my intentions, trying to figure all this stuff out when, you know, the answers kind of presented themselves and I pursued them. And then I took the leap out of corporate, which was, I don't want to say terrifying, but there were some moments. And yeah, I've been an entrepreneur now. Uh, let's see. So I started my company before I left cor- corporate. That was the beginning of 2012. I started investing in 2011. And then I left my corporate job later in 2012. And so what I'm I can't even do math. I used to be an engineer. Math, simple math. Is that eight years, nine years? <laughs> depending, yeah, depending on the time of year. We'll, we'll call it 10. We'll call it a decade. We've been doing it it's, for a we're decade. coming up on a decade and then we're going to round <laughs> it off. So yeah. And you know, that, um, God, the entrepreneur journey, that's enough adventure for anybody. No wonder I'd now that I think through the, no wonder I don't do more adventuring <laughs> anymore. I'm in it every day. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, so so when you when you actually kind of came to that point when you, I mean you said you started the business you'd been into an investing in real estate for a few years and then you you had started the business what was the delineation point that you said okay now I can feel comfortable well as comfortable as you can feel did you kind of wrap your mind around hey I have to get to a certain number from a cash flow perspective or was it just hey you know if I don't do this now to back to the YOLO kind of piece you know hey what's Yellow. what's the worst that can happen uh, it was definitely the latter I I. <laughs> thinking back, I'm like, I wasn't planned at all. I wish I had had more money in the bank account. I wish I had had more business going. Um, But it was such a, I don't want to call it a calling. I feel like that's kind of of a lame word, but I knew I had to get out of there. And I was in a logistical situation where, you know, here I am, I've started investing. I'm now doing this real estate investing business, which I'm just kind of creating. 
And the problem was that for the last maybe, I guess it was like nine months or something of, so I started as an engineer aerospace in Georgia. I took a job transfer out to California, which is how I got here. And when I took that transfer, I ended up taking on a new project and it was a top secret project. So for the last like nine months or so, I was traveling to top secret locations. The problem with that was there's only classified computers. There were a couple like unclassified computers there, but I was there Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday, no access to the real world, no cell phone. And I have like one or two kind of unclassified computers to do anything real estate wise. And so I, you know, and it was all an online business. It was all talking to people online, all this kind of stuff. And, And it worked out fine because I was able to do a lot of planning and a lot of, you know, designing and all that kind of stuff, not with a computer, but it really got to a point. And I was trying to hang on to my corporate job as long as I could, because I had a paycheck every Friday, I had health insurance, you know, as much as I could build my new business while I still had those securities, I would have loved to have done that for a little bit longer, but it got to the point where I finally had to make a decision. I was being so held back in being able to do my job or start the business rather, I didn't care about doing the job, um, that I, I knew there was a point and it, there's not really a definition to it, but there was a tipping point of if I stay with that paycheck and the health insurance, I'm going to be holding myself back from what I could be doing with the new business. And what that point is for everybody is probably going to be very different. I didn't have kids or a family to have to support. You know, if, if, I, if the ship's going down, I'm, well, I had two dogs at the time. We were, it was just us you know, somebody with a family or whatever may need to, you know, work that plus chances are you're probably not a top secret location. So whatever you, you know, you can work in the evenings, but yeah. So when I took the dive, it was, I, God, I didn't have much (laughs) in savings, but one of the things that I took forward with me, there were, you know, the entrepreneur journey, it's very similar to the real estate investor journey, I think, but the entrepreneur journey specifically, um, I, at that time I had read a lot of the rich dad series books, Robert Kiyosaki, and there were some nuggets in a lot of those books, rich dad, poor dad, obviously, but there were other books where Robert Kiyosaki made like one statement that literally made me, helped me survive the first few years. And one of them was, um, I don't know what the statement was, but one of them was that instead of changing your spending, increase your income, talking about budgeting. And so he said, you know, as an entrepreneur, if you are spending more than you're making, it's going to drive you and it's going to keep that fire under you to keep going. So part, part of my adventurous rebel soul was like, if I go in this broke, it'll keep a real big fire under me to keep going. Okay, balance there. Like, yes, that was 100% true, but I also didn't really need to have panic attacks in the meantime either. So I would have liked to have more in the bank, but because I didn't though, it caused me to wake up earlier, go to bed later, work harder, all of that kind of stuff. And so that's not for everybody. It's not a comfortable feeling. I don't like it. it you know, there's waves with entrepreneurship. It's not, I've been back there. Yeah. So that was part of my mindset. It's like, well, I can't do the work at the top secret place anyways. And how fun would it be to go on the big adventure of going broke? <laughs> well, there's just there's just so many I'm like, things. Like starting to sweat even thinking about it. Like, God, <laughs> like seriously, not my but, mentality today. But I think you did a good job of like, I mean, you like you said, you try, you thought about it, right? It was a conscious yeah. thought in your mind around, hey, I'm gonna try to ride this out as long as I could. But there came a point in time, that tipping point, where you're like, yeah. I can only push so much more being in these yeah. top secret. You know, if you weren't in the top secret 
positions totally or you know different. in those facilities, you may have been able to ride it out for a few more years. I could have done it in the evenings. You know, by the time I got home on the weekends, I was tired. I could have done it all around work hours, but I I couldn't. So, and I think that's an important just for the audience of folks that are still working that are kind of you know in this same quandary of hey, I've you know started to build something, but it's not baked enough to you know, Facebook level or, you know, Spanx or whatever, you know, I've got a little ways to go before I make it work. But I think that you just have to determine, you know, which is it holding you back from actually being able to reach that potential? Or are you being, you know, purposeful on, Hey, I still have a runway, so to speak, (laughs) no pun intended, uh, you know, for, for this to actually, you know, facilitate success moving forward. And then, and to your point around the, the, the Robert Kiyosaki books, I know, like for some reason, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Obviously, a lot of people talk about it, but recently, I guess I've heard more negativity around it. Just you know, people are like, "Oh, it's pretty common sense," and it's like, "Yeah, but it doesn't matter mm. if it's common Is it sense." That common? Or, I, I, I <laughs> don't, I don't think so. But mm. you know, I guess some people. But I think to your point, um, so cash flow quadrant was the one that spoke to me, and it's mm-hmm. funny because it was. I thought the mindset and the mentality of the quadrant, right? So the employee, the self-employed, the business owner, and the investor. Yeah. And I think. My challenge now is everybody's rushing to the investor quadrant, thinking that they are there, right? And just because yeah. you're investing in an asset or in real estate, equities, Bitcoin, whatever it is, you know, you're not necessarily an investor until, you know, I kind of deem the investor as you're just sitting back and kind of being this overlay, you know, over yeah. this kind of mass stack of capital, right? And I mean, yeah. you know, ultimately you're still in one of those and it's the mindset I think is the biggest challenge. And that's why I think yeah. the majority of people have to shift their mind to the business owner mindset they're successful from a business owner mentality, then they can worry about falling into the I quadrant, you know, with their, with their income and with their success through that piece. So let's be uh, honest. I think a lot of people who consider themselves investors are actually consumers. And that's being shown to us right now with uh, the new Fannie Mae Freddie rules about investor mortgages, like the rates are going to go up. And I've seen so many people freaking out. Oh my God, we're not going to have 3% anymore. Oh my God, it's going to be four or 5%. And it's like, first of all, cool, but it's going to weed out the consumers because when you can get a mortgage at 3%, that's going to bring in a whole slew of people who aren't actually of the investor mentality. So when you actually run kind of the whole gamut of wealth and wealth generation, when you buy a rental property, rental properties don't just make money in one way. So true investors, I mean, think back to the 1980s when interest rates were 13, 14, 16%, investors made it work. And so part of what, you know, you're kind of saying is like, People are trying to rush to that I quadrant, the investor quadrant. First of all, half of them or more are probably consumers. And there's a difference in mindset between those two groups of people. But also, too, to your point, there's a building process. You can't just like hop, hop quadrants, hop squares, whatever. What's that old, uh, was it something about four, four square, like... I don't know. There was some game where you hop squares. Hopscotch? I know hopscotch. That's I don't know. The only game <laughs> like, I can think about hopping. Wasn't there one with like a square... I don't know. I'm I remember the ball going my, back and forth. My, I don't know if I remember hopping blocks. between the scares, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what was that game? I'm trying. It had four in the name. I don't know. But you know, it it does go back to the entrepreneur conversation because, like, when I first started my business, I was doing everything myself. And there's a whole conversation around how do you properly start outsourcing? Because in order to get to the I or the B quadrants, investor or business owner, you have to outsource. Because if you're doing all the work, it's like uh, one of my favorite books, The E Myth Revisited. He gives this whole example about the woman with the is it cupcakes or pies or what it cakes whatever her shop is she starts a business so she owns a business but she's doing all the work you know and that's what his kind of distinguishing uh, marks between the quadrants are 
So then you're talking, you know, you can start moving towards the I and the B uh, things, quadrants, but there's work that is involved. You don't just flip that switch. And, you know, it's, it's, it can take some time. Like I've been building my business for almost a decade now. I've been investing for at right at a decade now. And that, you know, the wealth from my properties didn't come overnight. The wealth from my business didn't come overnight. It's like a building kind of process. So again, it's all about that mindset of, first of all, not putting pressure on yourself to make it all happen overnight. But, you know, again, like when you're trying to decide when to leave your nine to five or your corporate job, it's one foot in front of the other. And that can be so frustrating for anyone trying to do that because we are all visionaries. We're like, we want to make it happen now. We're smart. We can make this happen. I know we can, but it is one foot in front of the other. And that's, that's a huge part of the mindset because first of all, if you go diving off the cliff too soon, you're going to terrify yourself and you're going to be jaded you know, the rich dad, people who complain about all that, I, I, I have a whole kind of theory about why people go to the guru seminars and leave all these terrible reviews. They want the answers handed to them. That's not how it works. You have to take the information you're given and actually make it happen. Put the work in. Going to the seminar is not the work. That's just getting information to how to, on how to make it work. So then when they're like, I didn't become wealthy overnight, bad review, one star. And it's like, oh. God, <laughs> like, you know, one foot in front of the other, it, it has to, that's such a big part of the mindset because when you don't do that, all of the rest of the mindset components go down the toilet. Well, and I think it goes back to what you mentioned kind of before when we talked about building wealth and the mindset, right? You have to understand your personality and yourself, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it all starts with introspection and understanding yourself. Yep. And so one of the th- points you made was happiness, right? So yep. if you're working around the in time freedom, so if you're working around the clock, if you're acting differently to your friends, your spouse, your family, because you're so stressed out, because you know, you're on a razor's edge of success and failure, yep. Is that something you can handle? And and unfortunately, on an from an entre- entrepreneurship perspective, there's going to be days like that, right? There, there's yeah. there's going to be bad days. There's going to be good days. And on the days that are bad, can you actually handle it and, and be yeah. the person you need to be for those that that need you the most? And I think that's the one thing that people just need to think through is do they have the skin and the stamina to make it through to your point? And I think yeah. that's the challenge with the environment we're in today is in the last two to three years, anybody that's bought anything, equities, crypto, real estate, you know, whatever, it's gone up exponentially. So that's made yeah. it look really easy, right? So everyone Here thinks come that- the consumers. <laughs> Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, well, how, so I know you said you were bored at your job, so you were looking for you know different ways to to kind of get out. But so, how did you get into real estate, and why did you choose real estate? I I kind of say real estate chose me. I I used to kind of hesitate to say like it fell in my lap because it sounds like I didn't do any work towards it. But the kind of short of the whole process, like I said, I was just and this was I mean the internet was a thing back then, but I've always been more of like a paperback book in my hand. That's where I'd, I got a lot of my stuff. And so I was just trying to research everything. I so Like I said, I narrowed it down. I was going to have to start a business or get into real estate. I didn't know what to do with either. And what I caught myself doing was staying too wide. I was getting a lot of information or a little information about a lot of things. And I needed to finally pick because nothing was happening. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to have to pick something because I have to get traction. I've got to go deeper in order to make the thing happen. So I was like, okay, I know I've read a lot. Which one do I want to do? And I was like, I'll start a business. And my family actually is, they own self-storage facilities. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a self-storage facility. It'll be my business. 
problem solved. So I immediately signed up for like the self-storage expo in Vegas. I was like, I'm, I've made my decision. This is what we're going to do. Not two weeks later. So at this point, I was so bored at my job. And for anyone in that career, it's a fantastic job. I just didn't like it. Um, I had subscribed to every newsletter to anybody. Like I, I was trying everything not to do my job. I was trying everything to learn about everything. So like two weeks after the self-storage expo, after I've made my grand decision, I end up with a newsletter or a whatever it was from Think Realty, fantastic publication. And it had an advertisement for a webinar. And the, so right for this, I still had real estate in my head. And I was like, you know, I also am making a pretty good paycheck. I could be investing, you know, on the side. So I had gone, uh, you mentioned you're from Orange County. I had actually gone around with an agent. I had a friend who was in real estate. She said, I know this guy who works with investors all the time. Let's go tour properties. I was like, heck yeah. So here I am in these nasty properties and they're super expensive and I'm staring at them and I didn't know anything about real estate this time. I didn't know anything about numbers. I didn't whatever, but I'm sitting in these properties and I'm like, I don't know how these should profit, but I don't see how they would. And I was like, what would the rents be on this? And he was like, oh, like $1,200 on a $270,000 purchase price, never mind the rehab. And I was like, I don't know what number I'm looking for, but I don't, I, I'm, something's not clicking. And so I had just seen these. So cheapest property, $270,000 less, you know, not even including the rehab. And I was like, "Uh, this isn't really working. So this stupid webinar comes up on Think Realty. Now we already prefaced, I'm adventurous. I love a good story and I'm kind of a rebel. Beach bungalows, starting at $99,000, seller financing offered in Nicaragua. Tell me what about that ad does not scream at me. I was like, okay. (laughs) I was like, I can afford it. I don't know where Nicaragua is. Hang on, let me map it. Oh, cool. Third world country in Central America. (laughs) Probably at my alley. (laughs) And beach bungalow. Like, these are all of my favorite things. Affordability, adventure, this will make for a great story later. And I was like, I got to watch this webinar. Totally assuming it was going to be a con. So I watched this webinar and it was kind of legit. Fast forward, I ended up talking to the people running it. It was totally legit. Some huge investors were in. Wyndham Hotels was in it. Jack Nicholas Golf Course, this whole thing. It was pre-construction. Anyways, that was kind of just more of the adventure story. But through that deal, because I ended up pursuing it, I was like, I'm in. Like, Heck yeah, I'm in. My very first real estate investment in a third world country. Totally in. So pursuing that, I went down to Nicaragua and all of a sudden I started meeting real estate investors. And these are some pretty, you know, decent sized names in the industry. And it was kind of like I found my people and I was like, cool. Like they're smart, but they have some adventure in them. You know, they're pursuing goals that I want to pursue, real estate, wealth, you know, freedom, all that kind of stuff. It was through those connections. So right at the same time, this was 2011, right at the same time, turnkeys were becoming a huge thing because of the crash. Properties in the U.S. are on sale across the board. So uh, some of the guys who worked there knew I was from Atlanta and they said, hey, just a heads up. Cause I had heard about their turnkeys. They were in like Phoenix at the time, Memphis. I was like, whatever, I don't care. I'm all for my beach bungalow in a third world country. And, but they said, Psst, by the way, next biggest market, Atlanta is coming. Like price to rent ratios are crazy. I mean, rents are through the roof. Prices are in the toilet, big appreciation boom come in. Like we just thought we'd let you know. And I was like, 
well, I should check that out. And that's what started the whole thing is I went and checked out my very first turnkey property. It was $55,000 for a fantastic two-story, fully rehabbed tenants in place. At the time, they were paying nine seventy-five, which that was crazy. And I was like, well, okay. And all of a sudden my focus shifted. So Nicaragua ended up completely bottoming out. I went there several times. It's still my favorite country to go to, but turnkeys now, you know, everything's on sale. So as I was buying turnkeys, this was the first time that I, in my head, what had held me out of real estate, quite honestly, was the thought of swinging hammers, rehabbing all of this work. I was like, you know, you talked about staying true to yourself. I could have done all those things if I wanted to, but it all sounded quite frankly terrible. I was like, Ugh, that's that's not what I'm in this for. All of a sudden, turnkeys, which are way more hands-off, I was like, now that, on the other hand, is me. So then I was telling everyone and their moms who would listen. I was like, oh my God, I got this thing. They're like, wait, you're not swinging hammers? And it was kind of the, you know, people are starting to figure out this turnkey concept. All of a sudden, people started buying and it became such a big thing. I started writing about it online. Bigger Pockets then picked me up to be a writer. And that's where the business came from because my entire business has been helping people buy turnkeys because I was buying them all for myself. So prior to quitting my corporate job, I scooped up as many turnkeys as I possibly could while I still qualified for a mortgage. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's where it all started. And to go back to one of your points, you know, I mentioned just putting the book out. And if you guys stay to the end of the episode, may or may not have a book deal for you. But in that book, that's a lot of my focus is you have to find the thing that speaks to you. If it's your skill set, your interest set, because if you try and swim upstream in real estate, it's just not going to work either at a minimum, your success level is going to be kind of inhibited because you can only go so far when you're working against your strains. You know, worst case, you end up going diving off the cliff and you're completely jaded and traumatized. And I talk about that so much in the book. And so I, I use the example. If you had asked me getting into real estate, if turnkeys would be my chosen thing, like, no, they're one of, they're a very slow build to wealth. They're a long-term thing. You know, flippers are over here doing work in six months and making a fortune. Like that seems more exciting, but the reality is turnkeys fit me and they, they accomplish my goals. They have created my whole business. I couldn't have picked turnkeys if you paid me. I don't know where they came from. And so it was kind of, you know, I say that to really emphasize the point that you made earlier is there's so many people saying, you got to flip properties, you got to wholesale, you got to do all these things. Maybe, but maybe not. Because again, you have to look inside yourself and you have to go with that introspection and be quite honest. One of my greatest joys in life is sleeping in. I have to own that. Because if I'm having to like rehab houses and meet contractors at 8 a.m., I can't sleep in. (laughs) Like, and you know, it sounds terrible to say I love sleeping in, but it's true. And I have to, I have to own that because otherwise, again, I'm going against everything. So that long ramble to kind of further encourage what you were talking about, but, you know, being open to what really is a fit for you and, you know, just kind of saying again, I didn't, I don't feel like I chose real estate. It just happened to work that way when I started the journey. It's like, I don't want to say I didn't put any work into it because I busted butt for five years and I tried things. I failed at things. Nicaragua was a bust. I lost a lot of money on that, but it, it, the path tends to present itself. I think that's so powerful. And, uh, you know, I kind of look at it as like the scientific process to go back to your STEM background, right? I mean, you're just constantly testing these assumptions. Oh, I hadn't thought of STEM in so long. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, but you're just constantly <laughs> testing these assumptions that you're making about what you think is going to succeed and what's going to be yeah. right, fit, right fit for you. And I think that I'm having that journey myself right now is what I thought I wanted to do and kind of go out. And I think, again, that's why real estate is such an attractive vehicle to people for better or for worse is because, you know, everybody's big on syndication right now, right? That's kind yeah. of the big elephant in the room. It's like, Hey, go raise capital on deals and, you know, get your friends and family into it. And, you know, you just, it'll kind of be great. <laughs> make a little bit off their money. But to your point, it's a long game, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, even at 12 to 15%, you know, total return or whatever. I mean, it's not, it's going to take a long time to build that wealth. Even if you're putting in a hundred thousand dollars into a deal, right? I mean, yeah. you know, at, at this point, the way returns are looking like if you can, double it in six to seven years, that's kind of best case scenario. Well, that's, yeah. a, I mean, I don't, you know, when you think about, and then I, when, when they're like, oh, you can double your money in five years. And I'm like, what was I doing five years ago? Who was I as a person? You know, it's like, I was totally Who different. was I as a person? <laughs> but I mean, it's different, right? I mean, you just change and evolve. And so, um, well, for the audience, just 10,000 foot view. So a lot of folks know, but a lot of folks aren't as familiar. So when you say turnkey, I know you're flinging it all over the place. So what is a turnkey? And if people are interested, what, what is, what does that really mean? So the term turnkey is actually kind of a metaphor for all you have to do is stick the key in the door, turn it, and you're making cash flow on day one. That's where the term came from. And technically that term turnkey refers to the condition of a property. So there could be a property next door to you in your neighborhood that is in turnkey condition, meaning it's rent ready, either tenants already in it or whatever, like it's, it's ready. You don't have to do rehabbing. You don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. Typically when people are talking about turnkey properties and when I'm talking about them, we're talking about properties that are purchased from turnkey providers. So there are companies out there in particular markets that are conducive to cash flow and inventory levels, these companies are basically glorified flippers. They are flipping in bulk and most and primarily to investors. So what they're doing is they're going out, they're finding the distressed inventory, they're buying it, they're rehabbing it, they're putting tenants in, and they have property managers set up to manage the property for you once you purchase it. And I am one of the culprits of this. I have an ebook called um, whatever it is, Turnkey Rental Properties 101, uh, the definitive guide to buying hands-off rental properties. The whole appeal about turnkey is hands-off. I've learned over the years now with my own turnkeys and with everybody buying turnkeys that I work with, hands-off it's not 100% hands-off. If you own properties, you're not 100% hands-off because you have got to learn due diligence. You need to be able to verify everything. Yes, and three things would be perfect, but I always say is, as long as there's humans in the equation, you know, hang on to your hats. So you have to learn due diligence. You have to be willing to step up and do something. Like if something's not performing, if the property manager isn't performing well, you've got to step up and do that. And in the beginning, me and everybody else, we were so busy calling them hands off. I saw a lot of people buy these things and they were literally hands off. And it's like, like you, you need to participate in this. <laughs> like, so, you know, I hesitate to call them hands off, but as far as owning uh, investment properties and owning rental properties, they're about as hands off as you can feasibly get. So there's multiple reasons and appeals for this. Number one, if you live somewhere like I do, Los Angeles, and you can't get cash flow to save your life, this allows you to buy somewhere else. It allows you to um, buy in multiple markets. It allows you to chase the best market. In 2011, 100% Atlanta was the best market. Is it today? Probably not. You know, things change. And so it allows you to be mobile because your teams are already set. 
And there's a whole list of other things. And then, you know, to be quite transparent, the major downside to turnkeys is that you're basically going to pay market value for them, which means you're not in a position to do the famous value add thing of real estate investing, which is one of the biggest profit centers is you buy the distressed property, you put X number of dollars into the rehab, and suddenly the property is worth more than you put into it. Immediate equity, forced appreciation, yes, huge. You're not going to get that with turnkeys for the most part. Um, so that is the trade-off. You know, you are paying, uh, people say you're paying a premium price, which I think has a negative connotation to it because it sounds like you're overpaying. You're paying exactly what it's worth. But in this case, it's worth market value because someone else already did the work for you. They're the flippers. They're the ones who got that equity. You know, so there are trade-offs, you know, that I could go on and on. But, you know, for a lot of people like me, I was I was held out of real estate because I just couldn't, I didn't want to put all that work into something. I wasn't looking to quit my corporate job to take on another job. I wanted to sleep in. I wanted to go to the beach. And so, you know, again, it goes back to that initial conversation we had about wealth is really planning out what does wealth mean to you? What is it you're actually trying to accomplish? Turnkeys may not be a fit for you at all. I say, if you have the skills and the interest to put work into something, you should absolutely do it. But there's a lot of people out there who are not skilled for that kind of thing, who are going to get themselves in trouble, who are long distance. You know, there's a whole kind of subset of people who I think turnkeys are great for because it's kind of like an entry in maybe when you wouldn't have had one otherwise. No, I mean, and I think that's what's so interesting in around investing in general is there's just so many avenues that you can go down and there's so many tools in the tool belt. And depending on the, 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 you know, the cycle, the, the point in the cycle that we're in or the point of the country, the location that you live in, in the country, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I, I just think that's why investing is so interesting to me. And I think that's one of the things around turnkeys that you're saying is it's a lot easier to jump up and, and pick up a turnkey in multiple geos than it yeah. is, you know, trying to flip houses and, you know, then you've really got to dig into, Hey, you know, contractors and all this stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's at least pre-baked to an extent. So people, so, and I was, honestly, people underestimate how much goes, how much goes into flipping a house, especially if you're thinking about doing out of state and, there's so much risk and everything. It's not to say don't do it, but you know, one of the advantages of turnkeys, I think, is that realizing that if you buy a turnkey, you're not pigeonholed into turnkeys for the rest of your life. It's not the only thing you can do, but you know, turnkeys take all of that really advanced stuff off the off the plate for you. So you get to just learn how to run the numbers, how to do due diligence. Like you get to learn some of the best fundamentals, which I've seen a lot of people start with turnkeys, learn that stuff, and then branch into the bigger projects, the flipping, the rehabbing, you know, landlording, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, exactly what you're saying is, you know, there, there's so much that goes in. And the only reason I say that is not to scare anyone away from those um, strategies, but to put a realistic perspective on, it's not HGTV. It is not <laughs> like, and, you know, I have seen, you know, turnkey providers pick up distressed inventory and I've been on multiple turnkey tours, if you will, looking at these people's uh, properties and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the properties they pick up, this just happened in Baltimore. Um, I guess it was a year and a half ago. Maybe I was there. A lot of the properties that we tour that they were now um, working on were bought by beginner investors who started the so-called easy flip project, whatever, and completely got hosed. They have no idea what they're doing. They get screwed left and right. And so you'd walk into these properties and you could see like, you know, maybe three walls are very new and rehabbed. And then the rest of the house is just in shambles. And you're like, what happened here? And they're like, an investor tried to come in and people just don't realize. So the only reason I say that, and it's not to sway you towards turnkeys or whatever, but 
you have to be realistic because if you go flying off into the deep end, I love this industry and I think it offers so much for so many people. I don't want you flying off into the deep end and getting jaded from it, scared from it, losing a lot of money, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, just really being cognizant about this is, we're not operating in an HDTV world. A thousand percent. And, you know, for somebody that uh, did some flips and spent way too much time and made way too little on them, uh, thankfully no losses, but well, Mm -hmm. I lost tens of thousands of dollars, but the projects ended up being profitable at least, but definitely made mistakes and lost way too much money to contractors for doing poor work or sob stories. Uh, You know, can say (laughs) it is, it is nice (laughs) to to say, yeah, right. (laughs) It's tough though. It's tough, you know, because I mean, it's dealing with people and you want to, you want to believe the best in people. And unfortunately sometimes, you know, they don't reciprocate. So, um, so how did this turn into a business, right? So that's kind of your background and your exposure to turnkeys. How were you yeah. able to turn this into a business and, you know, create hipster investments? It was it was kind of that accidental thing. And this there's kind of a message in this, I think, for people considering leaving corporate. One thing I was going to say earlier that I thought of is, you know, it's really important because one thing that I did in the whole five years of trying to figure out my way, I was like, let's see, this idea makes sense. I'm going to do this. And then when I would go pursue the idea, there's no reason that it shouldn't work on paper, but it just didn't work for some reason. And I used to always say I've, I had 173 business ideas and only one of them worked and it was hipster. And the difference between that one business and the other 172 of them was it, the business kind of formed itself. Like I didn't decide I'm going to do this business. Now let me go do it. This was, oh, am I actually doing a business right now? Oh, you know, like something was already making me money. So I told you the story of how I got into turnkeys and what happened with that is when people were, because I was so excited and I was shouting it from the rooftops, like, oh my God, I bought this really cool property. People are like, wait, what are you buying? So I was telling everybody and pretty soon my cousin bought one, my mom's friend bought one, you know, word started to travel. And I was telling so many people because I was genuinely excited that, and I was sending people to these turnkey providers. They kind of approached me and said, listen, you know, if you go get your real estate license, we can legally pay you referral fees. And I was like, well, that seems like easy, fun, side money. Here I am, a rocket scientist, and I'm not putting two and two together. Here I am trying to figure out my way out of a job. And then it's like, oh, I have a way of getting paid for something. Well, it'll be fun, side money. Hello. And so I did it. I mean, it was so easy to get a real estate license. And then, you know, here I am just making money for doing what I was already doing. I wasn't giving referrals in order to make money. I just was already giving referrals. And so it, I I woke up one day with the aha and I was like, wait a minute, if normal real estate agents can make a living selling real estate and I make the same as normal real estate agents and I don't have to do half the work or less, could I make a living from this? And that's when kind of all the bells went off and I was like, oh snap. And so it was a matter of I think it's, I, this is not required for everyone to succeed in a business, but I think if there's a way that you're already making money, that's it. Like do it because that is, it's like the in, it's like, this is already working. And if it's working to a small level, cool. How do you make it bigger? And if, I think if you're fortunate to have that situation where you're making side income somehow without even trying, or maybe you're kind of trying, but you don't have a lot of stake in it. If that's happening, that is kind of an alarm bell of, Hey, this, this may be it. And if you were like me in those five years leading up to that and didn't have that and didn't know what that was going to be, 
find that thing. You know, I say, don't start the business before you start the business. So hipster as a business was happening before hipster was a business. And so that's when it was like, oh, well, let me make this a business now because I'm already making money doing it. And that's how that whole thing started. So um, Hipster really started, one of my biggest intentions with it was, first of all, it's named Hipster Investments. I'm not a hipster. It's kind of like, how can I trigger people to click? Let's make it sound (laughs) weird. And it worked. Um, But my whole intention, I wanted to be just a friendly face in an otherwise pretty stuffy industry. Like real estate investing is intimidating. There's a bunch of dudes in suits telling you what you should do and screaming from the, you know, like just, it's, it's weird. And so I wanted to be kind of like just a gentle landing spot. And I was like, look, I've bought these things called turnkeys. I've really liked them. I'll tell you, what I know. That's it. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not trying to whatever. So it was my, it was kind of like I was a glorified matchmaker in the beginning. It's like, okay, this person wants to turn, let me match them with this person, blah, blah, blah. But what's really happened over the years, yes, I'm still a matchmaker, but so much more of my job has become that of an emotional support dog. Because a lot of people getting into turnkeys are brand new investors. People are terrified of, put, you know, buying a first property. They don't know what they don't know. It's, it's such a beginner kind of point. Lots of experienced investors have also bought turnkeys, but there's a lot of new people. So I've kind of ended up being that emotional support system. Um, and then that has even graduated. You know, now I do real estate coaching. And quite frankly, I wasn't planning to do that as a like formal offering, but it keeps happening. <laughs> I'm like, again, who am I to say no? Um, and I, I really enjoy doing it. I, it's so great to meet different people and help them. I'm a problem solver. I'm an engineer by background, um, help guide them and all that kind of stuff. So that's really what the business has become is yes, turnkeys are our focus, but I'm really trying to kind of build the messaging around it. Like I said, book just came out. It's not about turnkeys. It's about mindset. And how do we develop this mindset? Because I can't, you made a statement in the very beginning. I don't remember what it was, but it's so true is that I think so much more of real estate investing and succeeding as a real estate investor is about your mindset. It's, you know, my book is called Not Your How-To Guide to Real Estate Investing. And that's for a reason is there are so many how-to guides out there and you can read a how-to guide all day long. But if your mindset's not correct, there's not a how-to guide in the world that's going to help you. And so that I think is one of the components, if not the biggest component that I think has been missing in this industry for a long time. So that's kind of now my mission of, you know, hipster, we do the turnkeys, all that kind of stuff. But really I'm trying to, even outside of just that brand, really work on this mindset component because I mean, I think without it, that's why so many people end up in trouble in this industry. A thousand percent. And I think that's, you know, I think what you're doing right now is so great. And I think that's what people are trying to, you know, find a way to bridge the income gap because when you're a high income earner, it is difficult to have a business that's able to sustain the same level of income that you had. And, you know, majority of us are prideful or maybe egotistical, however you want to define it, but it, you know, no yeah, one wants to take us. Oh, <laughs> none of us are that. Uh-uh. That doesn't happen in this industry. That's crazy talk. But you don't want to it's take a substantial <laughs> <laughs> But you don't want to take a substantial step back. But I mean I think what you're talking about is kind of yeah. vertically vertically integrating. And I think it kind of almost reminds me of probably a lot of the turnkey providers you partner with. You know, they've got their construction crews, they're wholesaling, you know, they're probably wholesaling some of the deals that don't yeah. fit their criteria. They've got property management. So now they've got all these streams that are involved in managing and operating and selling these turnkeys, right? And so now you've got these different streams and kind of you can spider out into different opportunities to to create income. So 
I just think that's tremendous. And like you said, I mean, back to the point you've made so many times throughout, but just don't be so set in those assumptions that you're making about where you think this journey is going to take you yeah. and just kind of, you know, go with the flow and just see where, where it leads. Because if, you know, if you would have gone steadfast on some of those assumptions early on, you, you probably wouldn't be here. Hipster wouldn't be here. Yeah. And you, you know, you, who knows? I mean, you, I'm sure you'd be successful in a different Avenue, but you know, now it's like, you, you just kind of went with the flow and let it happen. And, and ultimately led to, to the level of success that you've had so far. I can just picture me in one of those orange County houses. So one of them had a rat and rigor mortis and I'm, I'm not really into like medical anything. And I can just picture me, like if I had pursued one of these houses, first of all, I have no idea, you know, maybe they've appreciated well since, I don't know, but you know, I can picture me in like a hazmat suit with a rigor mortis rat and then contractors. And I'm super gullible. Like I, even if that property had worked, if I bought it, how was I going to scale that if everything I'm doing is me swimming upstream? And that's why I say like turnkeys on paper and on the surface don't seem like the ticket to wealth. They really don't. Nor does a third world country pre-construction development seem like that's going to be a legit path. And like I said, I lost a lot of money on that, but the money that I lost on that got me aside from, I think I went to Nicaragua five times, some of the best vacations of my life, but it got me into turnkeys. It got me in my business. It got me out of corporate. Like, you know, that's a whole different episode conversation of how to perceive failure. You know, that was my first investment right out of the gate and I was 40 grand gone. I still don't have that 40 grand, but you know, people so often can look at that like, oh my God, I lost 40 grand. And I was one of those people in the beginning. I was like, why am I doing this? This seems to be costing me a lot of money. But again, you don't know where that path is going to lead you. So don't rule things out because of how they look on paper. You have to go in right back to what you said, introspection and following the nuggets that are kind of laid out for you. That's not to say don't, you know, make a plan. If flipping sounds great to you, great. Pursue learning that, learn more about it, start getting traction, but always, you know, being open to if something presents itself. And, you know, the biggest things that I've ever, I, I was just talking about me doing real estate coaching. I've kind of always done it sporadically over the years. I've just never offered it publicly. If you asked me if I wanted to be a coach, God, no, for so many reasons. Like, first of all, I think it's a super trendy term. Everyone's a coach these days, but it also became a thing. And so who am I to say like, wait a minute, you know, it actually is kind of rewarding for me. I love working on other people's scenarios. I love working with individuals. I'm learning a ton about real estate from the people I'm working with. Um, you know, again, I could have said for years, I don't want to be a real estate coach, but here I am. I also wouldn't have said I wanted to be in turnkeys. Here I am. And that's not to say that I'm sitting here miserable. I actually love it all, you know? And again, it's, it, there's so many different things like working on that for yourself, figuring out what that is. If you're trying to leave your corporate job, let those things kind of figure themselves out before you lose your paycheck. So it's, again, I love problem solving. I have a background in problem solving. It's like this big picture of like, it's puzzle pieces. Like, okay, this piece goes here and da, 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 da. And in my book, I even mentioned, like I was talking about um, different characteristics of this industry. And that is one of them is like, you will be required to do creative problem solving unless you stay, you know, smaller time investor, you're not really diving into it. You're just making some investments, but that may be great for some people. Some people may hate that. Some people want a syllabus given to them. They want a um, linear breakdown of how to do it exactly step by step here. That's not this industry. And if that's what you want, you might as well know now that's not what you're going to get here. So, you know, it appeals to different people and 
again, just learning those different things can change everything. But yeah, like you said, being so open to something that doesn't maybe seem all that obvious. And to your point about, you know, kind of tying a bow on it from the beginning, but I mean, losing $40,000, that's a lot of money, right? I mean, I mean, and, so yeah, the, especially to, for your first investment. <laughs> and and so then you have to have explain the, to the people skin. that you lost $40,000 in a third world country. Cause that doesn't seem super obvious. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like for the record, there were big name investors in on this. No. <laughs> so just just know yourself. And I mean, if you're not comfortable with something like that, just know, you know, maybe this isn't the right thing for you because you've got to take yeah. those chances. Anybody that's been in any type of entrepreneurship or real estate for a while, you know, has, has lost out to bad actors or just to circumstances, you know, be it in the market or whatever the case is. So, mm-hmm. well, Allie, I've I wonder so- we don't all wear helmets every day. <laughs> like, <laughs> Seriously. Well, I've had so much fun. This has been a great conversation. So let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So, um, is there one investment? I know you went, you know, primarily down the turnkey and real estate route, but is there one investment that kind of stands out as maybe more contrarian than than any others that you've made? You mean other than the third world country <laughs> pre-construction beach bungalow? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to set it up too easily. <laughs> you know, if I had one that was slightly more contrarian than that one, this would have been a whole different podcast episode. Like, I mean, that one, that it's like, oh, that one's dear to my soul. Such a big loss, but such a big win all at the same time. And I came out with exactly what I was looking for. A really good story. <laughs> well, and, and now you're getting me excited. I got to go check out Nicaragua. I've been to Costa Rica, but I, I need to check out Nicaragua. where it's at. I've been to both. Nicaragua is, they used to, well, I mean, this was almost 10 years ago, but they used to call it, um, let's see what they call it, Costa Rica 20 years ago, you know, when Costa Rica became popular, it was so cheap and everything and prices have zoomed there. But Nicaragua is now, you know, if you, when I was there, this is all a decade ago, I don't know what the updates are, but if you made 20 grand a year as a salary, you could live like a rock star down there, like full-time driver, full-time maid, full-time nanny. I mean, it is, and it's gorgeous. The people are amazing. I know they've had some more political drama lately since I, when I was there, that stuff wasn't going on. So I don't know the current status, but I'll tell you what, and there were so many expats. So this was during the crash. So a lot of people who now lost a lot of their 401k, they were like, screw it, moving to Nicaragua. You only have to make 20 grand a year. (laughs) How like, how do you make your money go further? But yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. It's an amazing country. Awesome. All right. On the bucket list added. <laughs> Noted. What is a favorite activity outside of the turnkeys and, and hipster to do with friends and family? I'll stick with the contrarian uh, theme. My absolute favorite thing to do, which I have not been able to do uh, during the course of COVID and the pandemic, is I volunteer in prisons all the time. There was a about a year, year and a half span there where I was driving literally four hours up and four hours back in the same day to work on, to do these classes with the prisoners. It's easily my, again, back to that adventurous rebel, need a good story. I work, I volunteer in California state prisons and we run uh, programs with the prisoners. We work on with them one-on-one. We do big weekend workshops. It is easily my most favorite thing to do. And I've not been able to do it in a year. Um, But outside of that outdoors, I ski, I snowboard, hiking, beach, all that kind of stuff. Happy hour cocktails, you know? Yeah. Got to mix it up a little bit, but that's extremely powerful. And I think that 
I think that's been a challenge that we faced too, is just, you know, we were wanting to do more actual time investment of volunteering mm-hmm. and stuff. And we had done a really good job kicking off 2020, getting out of the gates, especially getting my daughters involved in stuff, you know, cause we want them to have that feeling and, and, you know, understand, you know, where yeah. they're coming from and, and where other people are living. And unfortunately, uh, obviously COVID's yeah. thrown a wrinkle into that, but you know, <laughs> like we'll, get, so close. We'll, we'll get back there soon <laughs> enough. Um, what offers you the most fulfillment in life? Honestly, probably volunteering in the prisons for sure. I, I, um, yeah, I think that's easily the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I'm constantly learning and, you know, connecting with people who you probably wouldn't assume otherwise that you would hang out with and really, um, you know, I work with people, they're in state prisons. A lot of them are lifers. They have committed easily some of the most heinous crimes on the planet. Um, and when you get to work with them one-on-one and it's not that they're justifying their actions, but when you learn more about them, you kind of, it, it changes things like it, it changes perspectives and, you know, yes, there are sociopaths in there that are never going to, you know, I'm not naive to that, but there are so many people in there where circumstances just, you know, they happen and to be enlightened on that kind of stuff, and connect with someone in that situation in the way that we get to connect with them I, all day long. I mean, it's changed everything about me. It's changed everything about how I see the world. Um, it has expanded my heart. Hugh, I mean, I just have, so, I've never felt more love in a room than I have in prison. Um, if someone just tuned in, that would sound really weird. They'd be like, what, you, what was she in prison for? <laughs> Uh, I joke out here, uh, people are like, oh, do you want to do something? I'm like, now I'm in prison that weekend. They're like, would you stop saying that? I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, that. Yeah, it it is. It it does kind of go back to that wealth thing is the perspectives of money isn't everything. And I think that's so important to remember because I think there's probably very few people out there who are actually trying to achieve financial wealth for the finances of it. It's like, what do you actually get and what's more important? What are the important things in life? And like you said, time freedom, that allows me to go into the prison and work with these people. And so that, you know, that's a lot of why I do what I do. Yeah. I mean, and, and like you just said, I mean, how much you've learned about yourself and these different circumstances, I think it just gives you better perspective on life. And I guess that's kind of oh what I gosh. want more than anything is we all come from different backgrounds and different upbringings and we all have different stories. And, um, no, I just, I love that. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And, uh, so you did a great job with the cliffhanger with the book. So I'll give you, I'll you give like you, that? Some- I'm getting better at cliffhangers. What? I'm like, people are trying to teach me marketing. <laughs> So what's the best way people can get in touch with you if they want to? And what's the best way they can pick up a copy of your book? So I set up a link just for you guys. Uh, it is hipsterinvestments.com, which is my company slash contrarian. And if you go to that link, there is a, you can put your information in and get a free copy of my new book. It came out last summer called Not Your How-To Guide to Real Estate Investing, Life Lessons on Hacking Your Mind Before You Hack Your Wallet. Obviously, if you've been listening to this, you can imagine it's a lot of mindset, but there is actually a how-to guide in there, breaks down the six steps of exactly, exactly the six steps that I took to get out of corporate, which are the same six steps that you can to succeed in real estate, to do anything you want, really. Um, There's interviews with successful investors in there that talk about all the different strategies, like what is their actual day in the life of, and then there's a lot of mindset talk, you know, a lot about looking at your own strengths and all that kind of stuff. So you can get a free digital copy of that book at hipsterinvestments.com slash contrarian. If you're like me and you're obsessed with paperback or you just want to convince a lot of people to buy it, there's a link on, uh, on a, on there to the Amazon link for the book. So if you prefer to buy it, um, you know, paperback or whatever, but also on there, there's my information. So you can reach out anytime. 
Awesome. Well, I know a lot of folks are going to be picking that up. And thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this you conversation. Bet. It's been a lot of fun. And and like we've kind of weaved in and out the whole time. I mean, mindset, obviously, above all else, is really what's going to lead yeah. people to success. Um, so, well, thank you, Ali. I really appreciate the time. Great conversation. You bet. Thanks for having me. Of course. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.